0: Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 is where we're going to start. It says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior... Verse twenty-two. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death, to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed uh, to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. And so. The scriptures make it clear right here in verse 1. It says, once you were alienated from God, you were enemies from God in, in your m- mind because of your evil behavior. And the Bible makes it clear that all of mankind has been separated from God because of sin. That's just a, pri- uh, a, a principle of scripture. And we know that. And Paul used the word alienated right there in the beginning. And that word alienated, which means transferred to a different owner. Transferred to a different owner. You are alienated from God. You were transferred from the ownership, from the ownership of God to the ownership of Satan. And Paul is making the point that we were alienated. All of mankind is alienated or separated rightfully from God because of our sin. And Isaiah 52:9, 59:2, uh, excuse me, says, uh, "It's your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, He has turned away and will not listen anymore." And Isaiah 53:6 says, "All we, we like sheep have gone astray. We've all left God's path to follow our own." And uh, Romans 3.23, you know it well, it says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So this is a principle over and over in Scripture that mankind is separated from a holy God because of all our sin and all have sinned. And and really, when we're talking about sin, it can all be distilled down to pride. That's really what can can be distilled down to a heart that says, My will, not your will. Me, not you. What I think over what you think over what I why I feel whatever what you feel, Um, you know my desires over his. My kingdom, the kingdom of Matt. Praise Matt. Over, yeah. I mean, really, that's what we want at the end of the day. We wake up and we go, oh me, you know. uh, Wake up at the beginning of the day. We say me, you know. What about me and my things? And we take care of us like crazy, right? We love us, and that's the problem. Is us. We've got a culture that wants you to, to somehow feed that. When actually God says, you know what, you want to have life, lose yourself. That's the problem. And that's, that's what goes against the culture so much. And quite often we look at people's actions as sins, those outward things, and they truly are. Those are behe- evil behaviors. What we say, what we do, how we act. that Make no mistake, that is sin, but where does it come from? What's the origin of that? The reason why we say what we say and and the reason why we do what we uh, what we do and what we think, what we think. Why? Where does that come from? It comes from our hearts, the core of who we are. You know, if you look at Proverbs uh, six, six, chapter 16 through 19, it lays out this principle in the first slide. I'll just put it up there for you in a second here. But it, it says, uh, there are six things the Lord hates. Seven that are detestable to Him. And you read them there. Uh, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deceives, uh, that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up a conflict in the community. And so if you just kind of list them out, which is the next slide, <clears throat> you look them out, oh, there they are, there's all seven there. Well, what's really interesting is Hebrew parallelism takes things, much like our poetry, and puts them in certain order, and, and if you kind of go one slide further, this is the core. If you look at the yellows, they line up, and the blues, they line up, and the greens, they line up. So a haughty eye is in a person who stirs up conflict in the community. A lying tongue, a false witness who pours out lies, hands that shed innocent blood, feet that are quick to rush into evil. What's the problem? What's the core out of, out of all those things? What is it? It's a heart. That devises wicked things. That's the problem. At the core of humanity is a heart. At the core of man's sin is the heart. And Jeremiah 17.9 says in the ESV, it says it this way, The heart is deceitful above all things, and it's desperately sick. Who can understand it? That word sick means terminally ill. Incurable. And Jesus said in Matthew 15, 19, he says, out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. And so how do you reform a society that is broken? It has to what? It has a heart change. What's the hope for our nation? A heart change. What's the hope for our family? A heart change. What's the hope for you? A heart change. That's what needs to happen. That's at the core of what the gospel is. Paul says the reason why we're separated, God, who is holy and pure, is because mankind has a, a heart problem, basically. We're broken. And Paul says in verse 21 of Colossians 1, he says, Once you're alienated from God and we're enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, because our hearts are broken, because they're wicked, this causes our minds to be at war with God because our actions uh, are. are uh, reflect what's in us. And so the way we think, the way we feel, and the decisions we make ultimately show that we're broken through our behavior. And that is why I do what I do not want to do. Anybody else relate with me? Okay, got, got a few more this time. All right, yeah. Hey Amen, Christine. I'm just kidding. <laughs> She was saying, yes, I know why you do what you don't want to do. (laughs) But it's because our hearts are broken and we're sick. And that's why we're at war with God. I'm talking about we as a humanity. Romans 8, 6 says, the mind governed by the flesh, by that brokenness, is is, uh, is death. But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. And that's who we all were at one time. We were alienated uh, from God, because of who we were by nature, we just we were incompatible with the holiness of God. I want to move on to verse twenty-two. It says, "But now He has what reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight, without blemish, free uh, from accusation." And the church said, "Amen." I'm thankful that this is the gospel, the good news that God has provided a way for us to be reconciled to Him, that we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. It's exciting. That's our only hope. I love that. We've been reconciled to God by Jesus Christ's death. And as we mentioned last week, Jesus died on the cross in place of the enemies of God to bring reconciliation. Oh, what love is that? That He would die for His enemies that's just sweet. <clears throat> and so Jesus, He took the place of a sinner like me, sinners like you, on the cross. That's good news. And so He suffered what I should have suffered. He experienced the separation that I should have experienced. He experienced the death that was due me, that was due you. He died in our place, and through faith in that, through faith In Jesus Christ, believing that Jesus paid the price for my sin, for your sin completely, then I'm forgiven. You are forgiven. Amen? We traded places. And so Christ, it says in Christ we are holy in God's sight. How in the world can we be holy when we're full of holes, so to speak? The picture of holiness, you know it, I've said it a lot of times, is being set apart. And the picture is the temple they had the tabernacle in the temple. Well, in the temple was a place of worship and you couldn't just bust into that room. You had to be a priest. And the things within that room were called holy. They were set apart. They weren't for common use. They were made specifically for worship. They were made specific, specifically for the, the expression of worship to God's glory in those places. So all those instruments were not common. You wouldn't take a spoon that you were using to feed the cat food and take it in there and, or fork, for some of you don't want to offend you. And then I'm just kidding. And then we take it in there. And you couldn't do that. You would have instruments that were made out of gold and special. It's kinda of like your fine China, right? Or whatever it might be. And God says, You're holy now. You're set apart. You have been taken out of this world. You're no longer common. That's a powerful thing. In Christ, we're holy in God's sight. When God looks at us, He sees Christ, His holiness. We switch switch places. And again, we're no longer common, no longer of the world for the world's use, but we are now part of the kingdom of light. We're for His use. The kingdom of His Son adopted into the family of God. Set apart for His use. We're holy. That's beautiful. It says we're without blemish. We're without blemish. In the Old Testament, and the people who are reading this would kind of know this. In the Old Testament, without blemish, what happens is they take the animals to bring to sacrifice at the temple, at the tabernacle, and the the priest would inspect those animals for blemishes, because in order for a sacrifice to be acceptable, it had to be without blemish. In other words, what happened is people often wanted to get rid of their three legged goat or their three legged sheep and they go, I oh, take this one, you know, I'll sacrifice. I'll give that to God. How many of us give God our three legged sheep instead of the first in the best? Unacceptable. See, Jesus was the lamb of God without blemish. Spotless, pure, clean, holy. And we're not talking about outward. What are we talking about? He was pure on the inside. He's without blemish. But see, here's the thing. On the cross, He became blemished for us. Our sin was put upon Him. And we have His righteousness. We have His Cleanliness, so to speak. We are without blemish in Christ Jesus. We're we're set apart for Him, and we're without blemish. Praise the Lord. I love that. That's what Jesus provides for us. So when God looks at us, He now sees an unblemished son, an unblemished daughter. In Christ, we are free from accusation. That's the third thing He says there. We're free from accusation. You know, before Christ, we were rightfully accused. We stood condemned. Guilty as charged. There's a lot that people could point to me and say, you know, hey, you're this, you're that, and this. And and, and outside of Christ, that is true. Before God, I am totally uh, guilty of those things. We are totally guilty. But in Christ, we have been declared innocent. We've been justified before God. Just as if I'd never sinned is kind of how you remember what the word justified is. Our punishment was paid. How many of you like that? Our record was expunged and thrown into the depths of the sea, Micah 7-9. I like that verse. You know, no one can accuse us because Jesus paid it all. That's how thorough his, his payment was. Revelation says that the devil, whose name means slanderer, accuses the beloved, that's those who are Christ, before God day and night. He accuses us day and night. But in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. You have a lawyer with God. That's what the word advocate means. You have a lawyer. And, and here's Jesus. Here's his defense of us. He holds up his hand with a nail pierced through it. And the Father says, I have no recollection of anything they've ever done. It's paid for. It's done. They're innocent. Praise the Lord. How thorough and how complete is the sacrifice of Christ for us. Totally thorough and complete. There is no purgatory. That's an affront to God. There is no earning your salvation. It's an affront to God. It is all Him and all that He has done. Now, we're going to clarify what that means and what that looks like in our life in just a second. But He wants us to know when, that we are free from accusation in Christ Jesus. I like that. You know, when I look at myself, I don't even see that freedom from accusation. I see a lot of faults and problems and all that stuff. Isn't it? How many of you have difficulties with that? If we could only see ourselves as Christ sees us, That'd be a beautiful thing. Yet through faith in Christ, I am declared righteous. You're declared righteous. You're declared innocent. Romans 8, 1 says, there's, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Are you in Christ Jesus? Jude chapter 1, there's only one chapter, verse 24 says, To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious present without fault and with great joy. I like that. So through faith in Jesus, we're made righteous before God. And that is awesome. That's God how he sees us. He sees us holy, without blemish, and free from accusation. This is all that God has done for you. That's all that he's done for you. Amen? Now verse 23. Well, you're reconciled. You're holy, without blemish, free from accusation. Verse 23. There it is. If you continue in your faith. Oh, great. Great if you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. You are all those things if you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. It was so good, Lord, up until verse 23. Thank you so much. (laughs) You had to put the if in there. And this is because with every great biblical truth, there is a great tension. There always is, every single one of them. The sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. That's just how he works it out in Scripture. There are these great God truths, and then it's our response to those truths. You know, God provided his son. For God so loved the world that he what? He gave his only son, that whosoever believes shall not perish but have everlasting life. God does all the giving and saving and all those things. And what does He leave man to do? To believe upon. That's your responsibility, is to believe upon. And we find out even in Scripture that God gives us the faith to believe. But God provided His Son. He provided the escape. But man's response... Must be faith, believing. We must persevere in faith in the gospel. And that's his point. You see, there were people coming uh, to the church in class. And there were people knocking on their doors. There was television. Not only really television, but there's the equivalent of something like that. People were her- heralding messages at them 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Wherever they were walking, the culture was pumping in stuff that was anti-Christ. That's what was going on. All around them. And those things we're seeking to add to or to move them away from simple faith in Jesus Christ to save. They're trying to subtly move them away from the foundation of the gospel. And Paul wants to make clear that the only way a person is saved, the only way sin is taken away, there is no other to avoid judgment and eternal separation from God is through faith in Jesus and His sacrifice on the cross. That's it, period. That's it. So if you move away from faith in Christ... If you move away from faith in the gospel, what saves you? Nothing. Nothing. And that's his point. So it's very serious when someone comes and knocks at your door and wants to tell you about another testament of Jesus Christ and hands you the Book of Mormon. and they say that they're Christians, that they believe in Jesus, when truly they're not Christians because they don't hold to the gospel that Paul preached. But they hold to another testament of Jesus Christ. Another gospel of Jesus Christ. It's very serious. As Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be under God's curse. Let him be eternally damned. And we have already said, so now we see it again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be under God's curse, anathema, eternally damned. An angel from heaven, Moroni. Who's that? That's an angel from heaven that came out and gave him a different gospel. This is serious. Are we being influenced away from simple faith in Jesus by what we're watching, reading, listening to? It can be so subtle. You know, engaging a philosophy that says that a lifestyle of habitual sin is, is compatible with following Christ. It's not. It's anathema. It's, that's not what God called you to do, to continue to walk in darkness. You cannot be, do the both. You must repent. You must turn. And no one wants to hear it. I don't want to hear how many of you? Because at the core of me is something called pride. Remember that? Don't tell me what I, what I need to do or what I can do. It's me and my kingdom. I will follow you, Jesus, as long as my kingdom is intact and I'm still on the throne. That's it. And see, that's what Christ came to, to, to conquer. So he goes to the man who comes up who's rich and says to him, hey, uh, you know, I want to follow you. And Jesus says, well, give away all your money and give it to the poor and then follow me. He's like, "Ah, oh, no way. I'll do everything but. And to someone else, he said, I want to be your disciple. What did he say to him? Well, you know, this was first, let me, uh, let me go take care of my dad's business. When I'm done with that, then I'll come back. And Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. You're like man, Jesus, you're mean. He's like, I love you. If you do not give up that which is at the core of your life, your pride, you have no place with me. Christianity is absolute, one hundred, total surrender to Him. He's Lord. You're not. We become the bond servants. The third person at the bottom of the ship rowing in the darkness. I, I put the most glibest thing because I'm a pastor. That's kind of what pastors do. But it's a joyful thing to know that Jesus is now in charge and that I'm not, that my ship isn't going to go off the edge of the world. He's got me. But we must have faith is trusting in Him fully. It's serious. and so, so This world is seeking to pull you one way or the other even through Religion. Through pretty shiny things. Joel Osteen. If you're listening to that guy, knock it off. Seriously, The Power of I Am, his latest book comes out. And what does it say? It's God is a cosmic ATM. You see, because I am a Christ, and, uh, because I am of Christ, and God is of God is God, and He is the I am. And well, I want to have the mind of Christ, and so therefore, the mind of Christ, which is the I am, which is all about me. If I'm connected with God in this very spiritual way, then basically I'm in union and I'm communion with God, and, and I can somehow will within my mind, having connecting into that power of God, wealth, health, and prosperity into my physical world. That's what he's saying. God is a cosmic ATM. That's blasphemy. God is not there to make sure that you're, you know, that, that you are have uh, tons of money in your in your checking account, that you go through life without uh, pain in your body, I mean, that you're prosperous, and somehow that's a sign of God's blessing. That is not. That feeds your flesh. Jesus didn't have a house. He walked around like crazy. as Paul, Paul, he was beaten. He didn't have clothes half the time. He went without food. You see, but it's, it's so good. I want to be a Christian and have an awesome car and a Learjet. God, you know, my God is big. He's going to give me all that stuff. What in the world? Be careful. It's all around you. And it appeals, and it feels so good, and it's packaged in a Christian bow. Amen? That's not the Jesus of the Bible. That's not what Paul was preaching. Look at him. He preached the opposite. Lay down your life. This is not the world. Invest in the kingdom of heaven, and it will be reflected in how you live. That's what he's getting at. That's why he says to Timothy, this pastor, this young pastor, in 2 Timothy 3.5, he says... These guys that come in and they have a form of godliness, but they're denying its power. They have the whole outside package, the Christian theme or whatever it might be, but they deny the power. What is the power? Self-denial. Denial of yourself, total emptying of yourself to him. That's what Jesus did. He modeled it for us. The power is in Jesus and the resurrection and him living through me. And I no longer live, but now he lives through me. It says, have nothing to do with such people. So don't entertain it when they knock on your door, when the TV thing's coming on. Don't get the book. Don't entertain it. Stick to the scripture. Read what he says. Let him challenge you. This is the evidence that a person is being saved. <clears throat> is demonstrated by their persevering in faith in Jesus in that simple gospel message. They're going to continue. They will be established and firm and not move from the hope of the gospel. In other words, they're going to build their lives upon the foundation of the gospel, what Jesus said and what he did. That's what they're going to build their lives upon. Their lives are going to be marked by faith. The just shall live by what? You know, faith, this is hard because it says, and I was talking with John the other day about tenses, but tenses in Greek, like, do we, is it just a one-time thing or is it a continual thing? When it says to believe upon Jesus, do you think that means pray a prayer and then just go back to whatever you were doing? That's like this. Gals, tell me if this works for you. I love you, I want to get married, you go and you say the things, you go through the ceremony, and after done, you just go out and do what you were doing before. How's that working? What, are we really even married? Technically? No, it's reflected in your the rest of your life. In everything you do, your priorities, your actions, it's all around that relationship. And if it's not, it should be, right? Obviously God's So the evidence that a person is saved is demonstrated by their persevering in faith in Jesus. In other in, in really faith without works, we wonder what faith is. Faith without works is dead. How we live is evidence of our salvation, that we are truly saved. Now we're not saved because of the way we live, but it is the fruit of really being changed. And that's important. Just listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew 7, 21-27. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. That makes me nervous. How many of us have said, Lord, Lord? He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. He says, But only the the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Wow. There's got to be proof in the pudding. The proof that we're saved is evident that our faith remains, that Jesus died and rose. That's the foundation. Then our lives are built upon that as we grow to be followers of Jesus and all he taught and modeled. And so the Spirit will rule our lives more and more, not the flesh. That's how we're, we're to know that. Love will be something that is more and more happening in our lives, in our relationships, not less and less. Amen? That's sacrificial love of Christ. And so those who are saved will continue in faith. We won't shrink back. That doesn't mean we won't blow it, amen. It does not mean that we are not in process. That God is not working out things within our life. That we have deep, huge character flaws that Christ knew before He purchased us and said, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna make that awesome." I see who you're gonna be in the end product. How many been in like forty years in the process? And mm-hmm. you know, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Not more hands today. Yeah. <laughs> God's working through us, right? But that's not an excuse. We still repent. We still follow, right? He's still working those things out in not so don't, I don't want you to think this is instant perfection. It's not. It's persevering in faith. It's continually looking to Him for hope. It's continuing to say, Oh, Jesus, I need you this morning. God, help me. Oh, Lord, forgive me. I've, I've blown it again. That's just the old man. He got up there on the throne. I don't know what happened. Actually, I do. I decided and I planned it. But <laughs> would you please forgive me for that? You know? That's really important. It doesn't mean we're no longer to sin, but rather we're going to have faith and good works in our life. And here's a very difficult passage and a sobering passage. I want to lay this out to you, and just, just listen to it for a second. It's Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 to 39. I'm going to read it to you. And he says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. How we may spur. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, Got. Yes, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. This is Hebrews chapter 10, 23 through 39. For he who promised is what? Faithful. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. You see it practically going out, practically working out. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more. as you see the day approaching. You see, faith doesn't shrink back. It grows. It says, If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and a raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. This is not very popular with the modern church. Enemies of God are are marked by that continual life of disobedience. You see? That's what enemies of God are. But anyone who rejects the law of Moses, says in verse 28, died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. So he's going to the Old Testament. He's talking to Hebrews. And that's what happened under the Old Covenant. Verse 29 says, How much more severely do you think someone who deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing, the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, who has insulted the Spirit of grace? It sounds like he's talking to someone who has professed faith in Christ. And they're, they have not persevered in faith. But for we know Him who said, It is mine to avenge, and I will repent again. The Lord will judge His people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I'm just reading Scripture out to you, right? And it says in verse thirteen: Remember those earlier days after you had received the light? When you endured in great conflict, full of suffering, you see there's endurance in the light of persecution. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution, and other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. see, these people came to the light, and they were willing to suffer for Christ's sake. They were willing to proclaim the gospel in the streets. They were willing to get things taken away from them. They were willing to suffer publicly and openly for Jesus Christ. They did not shrink back. But he says, you suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had a better and lasting possession. You see, they weren't living for today. They were living in the hope of the future, the sure hope, not of our silly economy, but in the sure hope of the treasures of heaven. And so do not throw away your confidence. He's calling them back. Don't. You're starting to give up. You're starting to become complacent, is what he's saying. He's saying. You're starting to not stand. Says, so don't throw away your confidence, it will be be richly rewarded. He says in verse 36, you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what He has what He has promised. And so those people, these people came to faith in the Lord, they suffered persecution, it seemed like they were getting tired of it, and they, and they started to backslide. the writer of Hebrews is saying, you need to persevere. Do the will of God and you're going to be rewarded. Verse 37, for in just a little while he who is coming will come and will not delay. And he's quoting verses, but my righteous ones will live by faith. The just will live by faith. And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. God is coming. The righteous one will live by faith. And then verse 39, here's the point. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. You don't belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who are, belong to faith, who have faith and are what? Saved. Faith is persevering in Jesus Christ. And so Paul's saying to the church, you belong to those who are reconciled, holy, and without blemish and free for, for accusation if you continue in the faith of the gospel that saves. You see, Jesus casts seed, the gospel, all over the place. And it says that some, the enemy came and took out, and some landed on a heart that was so happy at the very beginning, but what happened is persecution started to happen, and it died. To some, it started to grow up, but the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the love of this life started to choke out the fruitfulness. But then there's the last one where it landed on good ground and it grew up and it started to bear fruit. The evidence that you're his is fruit. That's it. The evidence that you're his is is, is fruit. Those are the true disciples. What this should do for each of us is give us a reality check. Are you in or are you out? Are you continuing in your faith? Are you growing in love and in the knowledge of Jesus? Do you have a hunger and thirst for righteousness or are you choked or stunted? Or are you like the church of Laodicea, the lukewarm church, where Jesus says in Revelation 3.15, verse 20 through 15 through 22, He says, I know your deeds, that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I'm rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you're wretched and pitiful and poor and blind and naked. You see, our own... Evaluation of ourself is often wrong. But what does Jesus say about us? What does the word of God say to us? He says, man, I'm rich. I got it. I'm all together. I'm, I'm, I check, check, check in Christianity. But he's saying, really? Be careful there. Because what I see is you're in great need of me. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and solve to put on your eyes so you can see. You see, Jesus wants to cure this. And here's the hope. Ready? Here's the hope. Don't feel like I'm beating up on you. This is the stuff I'm reading. It's speaking to me in my own life, so I'm just sharing. Right? This is what he's saying. Here's the hope if you are in the place of that stunted growth. Stunted faith. You might be shrinking back. Verse 19, to those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. If you feel the weight of correction this morning as I'm sharing the Holy Spirit, speaking to your heart, know that Jesus loves you. The very fact that he is so merciful and he loves us and speaks into our blindness is the fact that he loves. I'm not out there correcting other people's kids. I'm correcting my kids, amen? Amen. Amen? Because I love them. I'm not saying I don't love other people's kids but I mean I have take specific responsibility for my kids. know that he rebukes and he corrects those he loves. He loves you. That's a really good thing to know. So be earnest, Jesus says, and repent. Here I am. Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with that person and they with me. You see, Jesus is talking to the church and where is he? He's on the outside. And he's going, what? Can I come in? You know, that's that's where he longs to be is right here. He is here, but he wants full access to the deepest inner parts of your heart and your being. He wants all the rooms, all the doors open to him. He loves loves you. He wants to come in and clean house and make it straight and in order and good. Will you let him? To the one who is victorious, I will give him the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my Father in His throne. See, the perseverance. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Not the building, the people, right? You see, those who are saved and those who persevere in faith are those who persevere in faith in the hope that's held out to the gospel. Remember, God is the one who saves. You don't save yourself. Amen? He's the one who did all those things. What do we just do? Keep our eyes on Jesus. That is your mission. Trust and obey. Paul's saying, keep your eyes and your heart and your mind fixed upon Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. As we read in Jude, verse 24, it says, To him who is Able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before His glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. He is able to keep you. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't go after this other stuff. Simple, pure focus on the gospel focus on his word love and obey him that's what he asks you asks of you in response to all that he's done for you Lord we come before you now and you know the hearts of your sheep and Lord I know that you're knocking on the hearts uh, this morning some of us have shrunk back And we've become choked out, and we've reprioritized our lives around our kingdom. And Jesus, you're outside the door knocking, saying, can I come in? Can I sit on my throne again in your life? And if that's you, I would encourage you at this moment to invite him to come in. And I don't know about you, but in my mind, I always think of something that is in the way. And that's the thing the Lord would say if you want to be my disciple then that's what I need you to surrender and so by faith reckon it dead and allow him to come in and rule some of you might have never even given your heart to the Lord and this is all foreign you know Jesus has those promises he's done all those things for you your life might be a mess you've got secret sin going on you got things going on in your life and lord sees it all he knows it all he knows you inside and out he doesn't want to just be on the outside he wants to come on the inside of your heart to make you new to declare you holy to declare you righteous and without blemish and free from accusation all because he died on the cross in your place to declare you innocent. If you've never received Jesus, just say, Lord, I believe. I believe you died. I died on the cross in my place. And I believe that you rose again on the third day that I would have eternal life. I don't deserve it. I don't earn it. I thank you. If that's you, that's, that's the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart. He wants to make you new. He loves you. Let him in by faith. He's bigger than all the things you've done, and he will lead you home. So, Lord, we just want to thank you this morning for your goodness. I want to thank you for your mercy and for your word. Bless your sheep this morning. Keep us in the fold. We love you, Lord. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.